0: So, for, for you guys that haven't been in here with us, we are just kind of walking through the 1689 Confession. And we're all the way to chapter 8. Um, and we're going to pretty much finish that up tonight. If you don't have one of these, there are plenty of them over there but, um, to grab a hold of. The last section 9 and 10 um, read like this. The office of mediator between God and humanity is appropriate for Christ alone, who is the prophet, priest, and king of the church of God. This office may not be transferred from him to anyone else, either in whole or in part. Are you looking at that? Now, who can guess, based on our discussion already about the 1689, what do you think they really have in mind right there in that, in that section, or who? the Pope, the Catholic Church, right? Definitely. Um, because for these Baptists, and really for all Reformers in this time, um, they're really trying to make an emphasis that there is no intercessor between God and man. I mean, First Timothy 2.5. There is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. So the Pope can't do that, the church can't do that. And so if you're familiar with this time period in the Roman Catholic Church, and honestly, even the modern Catholic Church, um, you would understand why they really wanted to highlight this. Because the Pope was able to, according to their doctrine, he could just make ordinances, make decrees, he could declare things. The church, uh, the, the Bible was subservient to the church. The church could tell uh, what in the Bible is important what's not. Um, also, there was Mariology, which is uh, praying to Mary, uh, worshiping saints, sainthood, praying to saints, praying to Mary. So you can kind of see with all that going on, And they're trying to separate themselves from that and say, hey, these are the lines of distinction. This is who we are, this is who they are. You can see why they made this statement. Hey, there is nobody else. No other means of salvation. No way to God except through Christ. And it's important that we highlight that because even now I want to be careful to note that, that we come to church and we are the church and we gather but we try to point out over and over the way to God is through Jesus, not through us. I'm not in any way able to confer salvation on people. God does that. That's why we don't do a lot of enticing people and encouraging people to make decisions because we believe that hey, God is God's gospel it's God's heaven. It's God's salvation. He's going to save his people and bring them into the kingdom. So I don't have to encourage you to do things other than believe. And I want you to look to Christ and see who he is and what he's done because we believe he is completely sufficient. And that's what the Pope and the Catholic Church was denying, was the sufficiency of Scripture, the sufficiency of Christ. In fact, they still do in the modern they, Catholic Church, the Mass is a re-crucifixion of Jesus every week, which would suggest that he didn't do enough the first time. And the Bible is very clear. Christ offered once for sin forever and then sat down at the right hand of God. There is no more need for sacrifice. So um, I know sometimes we... Or at least I talk a lot about church history and I'm trying to put all this stuff in context. But I think it's important to see that. Why is our confession highlighting this? The whole chapter's already been about this. Well, they're wanting you to see this. This can't be transferred to anybody else, in whole or part. Now, some people will some people object and say, Well, I mean, you're a pastor. You intercede for people. Okay, but I intercede for people because of Christ and through Christ in the sense that I can pray for you and I can uh, ask God to help you and anybody can do that. I don't, you don't have to be a pastor, but I don't make intercession for you on behalf between you and God. I'm not your go-between, so you don't have to come to me, right? You are able to talk to God through Jesus Christ and, you, and he's able to deal with you apart from me. And see, that's the—that's what the church was teaching at this time, was that hey, the only way you could get to God is you got to come to the church, you got to do all the stuff, you got to learn all these doctrines, you got to learn uh, uh, all these penances, and you got to do this stuff. And not only do you have to do it; it's not just once. You got to continuously do it, because you never know when you've done that one thing that's going to push you over the edge, and God doesn't love you anymore, or you're not saved anymore. And you got to get it all done again. All that, yeah. All that's part of it, the rosary beads. And and I'm not here just to, um, you know, I'm not throwing rocks at the Catholic Church uh, per se, but I am wanting to point out this was what, this is why we have a Reformation, right? We are Protestant because we protested the Roman Catholic Church and we came out of it. And so that's why we are Protestant. And we still Mm -hmm. protest (coughs) the majority of doctrine that The Catholic Church would teach. Now, that don't mean we hate Catholics or we trip them anytime they walk past us or anything like that. You know, I mean, we're not. We we have a lot in common with them, actually, morally, so to speak. Um, usually, politically, we're all on the same side. Um, but doctrinally, especially when it comes to salvation, justification, we can't um, we can't teach what they teach because they absolutely believe. That the way to God is through Jesus, but because Jesus has given you some grace, now you got to take that grace and you got to do all these things that are laid out for you, spelled out, and then hopefully be received if you've done enough stuff and you hadn't committed cardinals or the, the sin and the death and all these things. That's a heavy burden, and when you start to see Christ. In what the Bible says about him, you find out that what we have in Christ is rest and not burdens, and not sorrow, and not fright of oh, what if I what if I messed up today, and I'm gonna I'm gonna wake up tomorrow, and you know w- will I wake up in hell or heaven if I die? I mean that's the beauty of Christ. In what the Bible tells us about him, he has done all the work. All right, so. Our hope is not in our ability, but in His. So in one way, we say a lot, salvation is not by works. But the truth is, salvation is by works. It's just the works of Christ, not ours. Works had to be done, and they were done perfectly. Jesus, and this is what we talked about in the beginning of this chapter, was the, um, the um, my, my brain is just shut down. The um, active and passive obedience of Christ... He actively refused to sin. He actively kept the entire law of God. Never broke it. Because to sin is to transgress the law. He never transgressed it. So he actively not just at the cross but his entire life was active obedience to God in suffering. We call it active and passive. Passive from a word that means passion because that's the, we refer to the going to the cross and actually dying as the passion of Christ but the truth is he suffered all through his life I mean he suffered in resisting temptation he, he suffered certainly just prior to his uh, crucifixion and uh, I can't even imagine the the kind of loneliness and heaviness he had carried as a man in general by being the savior of the world and not sinning so all that Christ did his entire life was to pass, to be able to be the God man who took our place and who died on the cross. The reason him dying on the cross matters is because he perfectly kept the law and didn't sin, right? And so a lot of people say, well, he didn't, he, he wasn't perfect. He didn't, he couldn't, have, he had to sin or he, uh, he didn't become obedient until he got to the cross. All of it was obedience all righteousness had to be fulfilled and he fulfilled it and so what do we do we just look to him and hope in him and so that's a lot of rest and a lot of burden taken off of us so we don't have to you know coming to church i love for y'all to come i want to come to church i think it's important gathering us to church worshiping together these things are important but they're not they're not earning you any points it's not a point system the only hope that we have, all our hope, is in Jesus in His righteousness. That's the whole message of the church. That's the whole message of the Bible. That's why it got messed up from the first century to the seventeenth century. That got way jacked up. And now the truth was still in there, and there were still the people of God and the remnant of God's people, and they were preaching the truth. But it got really messed up, and that's what was recovered from the Reformation. And um, that's why we, that's why I felt it was so important for us to be, if we were going to start a church, plant a church, I wanted it to be confessional for these reasons. I wanted people to see, if it's nobody but my own family, I want them to see our ties back to um, the past because these people, these people took this seriously. And they understood Man, you can't just throw the name Jesus out there and it mean the same to everybody. It doesn't. Because um, it was really messed up. And so these reformers came out and to... to um, they wasn't real popular. And they were threatened. And some of them died. Many of them died. Because they, they dared to teach that salvation was by, and justification was by grace through faith alone. And it wasn't anything to do with the church. It wasn't anything to do with the pope. wasn't anything to do with what people did. It had everything to do with what Christ did and who he was. And so, you come to this number nine. This office of mediator between God and humanity is appropriate for Christ alone. Yeah. And he is the prophet, priest, and king of the church of God. So see, all those, and we talk about this all the time, all those prophets and priests and kings in the Old Testament were getting us to, guess who? Jesus. Every prophet realized in Christ. Every priest realized in Christ. Every king realized in Christ. Even good King David, the one who's considered a man after God's own heart, he wasn't that good of a dude, all right? I mean, if you were, look at his life, he's pretty messed up. He did some bad things, like all of us. Because it's the only that's the only characters God had to work with is sinful humanity, is sinful humans. So that king the right king, the good king, all that was pointing us to who would one day come, the one who would come and be the king that God had been promising, Jesus himself. And so, I don't know if you've noticed, but most of you probably have, in our catechism, um, we have a teaching about this um, question right here. I should have looked this up earlier. But um, there's a there's a section about Christ being a prophet, priest, and king. And I always make a joke about it because the very first thing says, Why do we need Christ as a prophet? Does anybody remember what it says? Because we're ignorant. Because we're ignorant. And I always laugh about, Hey, came to church today for free, and right off the bat, we told you you're ignorant. But, yeah. Question number 84 How is Christ a prophet? He teaches us the will of God reveals God to us, and really was God in the human flesh. Why do we need Christ the prophet? Because I'm ignorant. And what that means is, I'm ignorant of spiritual truth. I'm ignorant of the things of God. Not that, it doesn't mean because I'm a stupid person. It means I need a prophet. Why, Why did the prophets, why did God send prophets in the Old Testament? And even in the New Testament, the prophets, they were still preaching like John the Baptist. Because people were ignorant. I mean, As humans, we come here with Adam's sin. Our nature is sinful. And the the Bible's clear, the, the wicked go astray from the womb. In sin, we were conceived. In sin, we were brought forth. So we need, if that's true, and we're dead in our sins and trespasses, then we need somebody to teach us. And it's not it's not me, I'm not the teacher even though I'm standing up here teaching what I'm trusting is that Christ through his Bible and the truth of who he is is teaching you by the Holy Spirit right and so we learn that we are ignorant, we need a prophet um, Why is Christ, how is Christ a priest because he died for our sins and he prays to God for us so here's that mediatorial work right He's the mediator between us and God. <clears throat> why do we need Christ as a priest? Why would, why would people need a priest in the Old Testament? What did
1: you
0: say? We're alienated from God. Okay, alienated. I mean, we're separated. But especially, what did the priest in the Old Testament do when he brought them animals up there and slid their throat and made a sacrifice? For For what reason? For For sin. Because we were guilty. Right. So we needed a priest to go between us and God in in the tabernacle and in the temple and sacrifice for us because God had chosen that the priests were the only ones that could do it. And again, that priest pointed to, as Hebrews tells us, those priests had to come into this temple daily and sacrifice daily. And yearly and over and over but Jesus after he had made one sacrifice for sin forever sat down through our hand of God because there was no more need for sacrifice he all that pointed to Christ and he fulfilled it and so we needed a great high priest who is Jesus and we see him in John 17 as that high priest as he intercedes for us in that prayer that beautiful prayer known as the high priestly prayer in John 17 and he's praying for us that God, the Father, will take care of us because he is about to do what he was sent to do. And one of the things I love about John 17, I've probably told you this before, if there was another way for people to be saved, we'd have found out in John 17 because Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, my, not my will, but yours be done. If there had been another way, we'd have known about it. But there wasn't another way. So Jesus is the way. And then finally uh, our catechism asks the question how is Christ a king? And here's the answer. He rules over us and defends us. And why do we need Christ as a king? Because we're weak and helpless. And again that's really talking about spiritually. We can't fight these spiritual battles in our flesh. We need a king we need a ruler and a defender when we read through the old testament what is the kings of israel doing they're supposed to be ruling over and defending the people of god now oftentimes they were wicked so they didn't do a very good job of that and oftentimes um they had to be replaced over and over until christ came so Back to the catechism, I mean the uh, confession. Section 10, since I've already talked about it, we'll read it. The number and character of these offices is essential. Because we're ignorant, we need his prophetic office. Because we're alienated from God and imperfect in the best of our service, we need his priestly office to reconcile us, present us to God as acceptable. And because we are hostile and utterly unable to return to God, and so that we can be rescued and made secure from our spiritual enemies, We need his kingly office to convince, subdue, draw, sustain, deliver, and preserve us for his heavenly kingdom. Now, those are some great things, and we've really already covered all these in our um, talks through this. But look at what it says here. We need his kingly office to convince us Because we're not going to be convinced that Jesus is Lord until God convinces us to subdue us. Because we want to go astray. We want to do opposite of what God is calling us to do. Which is to believe in Jesus. We want to believe in ourselves. And then he draws us. And that's so uh, evident. John chapter 6 points that out to us. Then once he brings us to himself, he sustains us. Everything we need, he gives us. He delivers us from our enemy and then the great news is he preserves us for his heavenly kingdom so we can't be lost so as prophet Jesus calls us externally by the word internally by the spirit as the priest he reconciles us and presents us as acceptable I mean that's the amazing thing that's, uh, that's what 2 Corinthians is all about God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That word that I know we've talked about before, imputation, where Christ's righteousness was counted to us and he paid for our sin. Our sin was laid upon him and his righteousness was accounted to us. Isaiah said it that way. God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. But yet, counted us as righteous imputation it's a great great theological word because it means we didn't do anything god just counted it toward us so i said this before we'll get to heaven not because we are righteous but because christ's righteousness is counted to us right that's that's imputation i heard today um guy was saying that um, before R.C. Sproul passed, this is the way when somebody asked him, how do you want to be remembered as a Christian? And that's what word he said. I'd like to be known, remembered as an imputationist. And man, that's a big deal. That doctrine is huge. Because what it does, it, it takes away all grounds for boasting. If somebody says, why are you going to heaven? You know, and you don't say because I got saved or because I I asked God to come into my heart, but if you're able to say because of everything Jesus did and for some reason God counted that toward me, I mean, that's grace. Because like somebody said, if you went before a judge and he said he tried you and found you innocent and set you free, that's not grace. If he tried you and found you guilty and then paid your debt for you and set you free, that's grace. That's what God has done in Christ. He has declared us guilty. The whole world is guilty. The law has declared all of us guilty. The same law that God gave to Adam and he failed, we continue to fail. We, we can't obey. And, and even if we obey if you think about the Ten Commandments, that's basically the, that's the law of God. That's the moral law of God summed up. And even if you think you've kept it, if you start studying it, you realize you haven't. Because Jesus comes along you know, in the New Testament and says, well, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say if you've looked at a woman and lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery already. He puts it on a level and it's like, oh, so the law is really about inside, not just externally. So you say you haven't murdered, but I say if you hate your brother, you've murdered him. And see, Jesus pointed out keeping the law is not just external, it's an issue of the heart, and that's where we mess up the most, okay? Let's be honest. If we can we we're good at keeping things on the outside even when we don't keep it on the inside. We can we've learned how to fake it. But God, the Bible says, looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. So we all know that. If we read those things, man, I've broken God's law. And then we we come along to James, and he says, "Well, if you've broken the law in on one part, you've broken the whole law. To break the law makes you a lawbreaker." I remember when I was younger, somebody said, "You know, we think that robbing a bank makes you a thief, but sticking a three cent piece of gum in your pocket makes you a thief too. And once you've broke, and that makes you a lawbreaker." And so when you start thinking about it in those those uh, terms, you start realizing, man, we're all broken. And if, we, if something don't come in from the outside to fix us, we're going to be in trouble. And that's what God has done in Christ. He's come in from the outside and fixed us. He's, you know, you can say um, he's come from another world. It's another worldly kind of love that he's brought to us. And all we do is believe it. I mean Jesus said that this is the works of God that you believe on the one who he sent and that's about the extent of it and so we think about these great doctrines like imputation and man that's such an important thing that God counts us as righteous even though we did it but yet he looks at us as if we kept the law perfectly and as if we never sinned that's the amazing thing that's why we read he He sustains us. Yeah, he sustains us because it was all him from the beginning. If he was able to save us from what we were, then who's going to be able to take us away from him? None. And that's what Jesus says. None are able to pluck them from my hand. None. You've probably, if you've been in the Baptist church, you've heard that called eternal security. It's really perseverance of the saints it means that if you're born again god has saved you you will persevere to the end our, our our confession points out so beautifully there'll be times when you'll you'll sink like a ship but you'll always come back up god will never let you get too far away you can't unsave yourself and it's a beautiful thing those uh the picture of knowing the ark and knowing and his family on the ark being a picture of the cross when God shut the door nobody else could come in but I'm going to guarantee this nobody's going to fall out either I don't think we think about it from that perspective you couldn't have got out of that boat once you're in it and when God saves you you can't get out or what you wouldn't want to but anyways y'all have let me talk a bunch what do you, somebody help me here tell me something I'll just keep going if any questions about this How about Christ as a mediator? None? What about comments? I'm just very thankful. Yeah. Very, very thankful
1: because, oh, wretched person I am. You know, thought life or even just things that come out of your mouth when you're like, whoa, wait. Right. <laughs> Where'd that come from? All
0: right. Well, and it's it's such a, a, again, a rest and assurance to know that when those things do happen, you're not condemned. I mean, nothing can condemn you. There I is, therefore, now myself. no condemnation. Yeah.
1: I condemn myself. Right. Uh, but then I go to the cross and realize that, that I am
0: saved by grace and faith and His mercy. That's right. Absolutely. Also, you know, don't want to take that lightly and say, "Oh, well, then I just sin all the time." You know, I, no. My, my heart isn't bent towards
1: that now. If I might, for a little quick season, want to dabble there for a little longer than I want to, <coughs> I can't. Right. Because my heart gets broken.
0: Yes. Well, and that's the always the charge laid against this doctrine. If you believe. In um, imputation and all these things, uh, if you believe in the the work of Christ, the um, his mediatorial work and his um, obe- active and passive obedience, the charge against believing that is, well, then people will just live however they want to. If you tell people that, then they'll just live how they want to.
1: Well, then they
0: were never saved in the first place. That's my right.
1: position thing, right. because I can't. I personally testify that I can't stay there. As much as I fleshly want to stay there sometimes and lick my wounds and do my own thing, my heart is so discontented there that I'm miserable.
0: Right. Well, and the thing is, it it always takes you back. Our sin will take us back to Christ and who we are in Him. So that, and if you read the New Testament, you'll see that, whenever the writers are writing to the church they don't just say stop this and do better they'll always go back to their foundation of who they are in Christ and in other words like in Galatians why why do you want to live as though you're in bondage, you're not in bondage but you know it's freedom um, yeah and it's not, you, you can't change the Bible in order to hope that well, I can make people live differently if I if I don't tell them the truth of all this. And 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 that's what Paul even answered, anticipate uh, anticipated that question, you know, in, in Romans 6. Well, shall we continue to sin that grace might abound then? And God forbid, no. But John writes and says, I write to you, little children, that you sin not. But when you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Because there again. Don't sin, but you're going to sin. But just remember when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. And it doesn't, it's not a, I think the way we've been taught necessarily to just run and hide under, you know, out of fear, but oh, messed up with God. It's more of a, I mean, if God chastises us and rebukes us, yes, but we're always brought back to Christ for restoration, Mm -hmm. not like a scalded, Scold the dog to run off over there and somewhere and hide. It's more like, hey, I mean, kind of like we do with our kids, right? We don't punish our kids and hope they leave the next day. Just get out of here. Be easier. We punish them because this is not who you are. This is not who we are. You know, make sure that you live according to who we are. I mean, that's the way I was raised. You know, hey, you're carrying our name out there. It's not just you. So, live the way, according to who we are. Not that they thought I was never going to do anything wrong, because they knew I did. They, I mean, they obviously knew I did. I got caught doing things like everybody else. But I always had that understanding that uh, I belonged to something bigger. Yeah, the uh, first John one man, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to just
1: forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness." And so what happens is that... Uh, uh, that would be a response uh, that, that is not uh, what is going to um, place uh, the cross. But basically what happens is uh, it's what she was saying, uh, it's acknowledging uh, uh, the problem, but basically also uh, it has uh, a responsibility uh, to, uh, uh, like John
0: said, uh, he said, you know, uh, do, do works uh, in accordance with, uh, your, yeah.
1: with your, I mean, with, with your
0: repentance. Repentance, yeah. Right. And we do have that responsibility. And, and we ought to be, I guess if it's right to say we ought to be, that's who we are in Christ, that's how we ought to live. But we don't always <laughs> no, no, but we do have I repentance. Know that. I yeah. know
1: that, but basically the is that
0: uh, it's not like he didn't cover the issue. Right. He absolutely yeah, and the scripture is full of that over and over. Um it, it God certainly knows us in our frame and he's made preparation for all that.
1: And there's real peace and security and when you're Hemmed in, you know, kind of hemmed in by the grace of God and the mercy of God. Yeah. It, it, there's, when you come to him and you say, hey, I really messed up, I'm over here again. So how many times a day? I'm, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm over here again. My mouth opened up and I said these things or I have this attitude or whatever.